we are experiencing we're experiencing a time as a people as a church as a nation even as a world of um the unexpected shocking us um we're experiencing a time when unexpected news has become kind of the norm which is a strange thing to say and uh that does not relate to the story of my my mother but um we're in a place where almost sensational news has become the new normal the new news um and we're going to be picking up a story in isaiah chapter four that is a difficult story to read and it's a difficult story to swallow and process but in that what i want you to see at the forefront is god's miraculous provision for his bride i want you to hear that in spite of the way things look and in spite of uh, the messages that we're receiving, in spite of the anxiety and fear in your own heart, that there is a God that loves for and cares for this world. There is a God that is passionately uh, pursuing and passionately cutting away everything that would stand between his bride and himself. So this is a good time to pray. We're going to pray and we're going to pray that God would speak a message to us uh, that maybe we don't necessarily want to hear, but we need to hear. And that in, in that message that he would begin to or continue to do a work of cutting away anything in our hearts and lives that compete for his affection. Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you so much. First, Lord, that you're a God of miracles. And your miracles demonstrate your character and your love. Lord, and you loved me even while I was a sinner and you loved us even despite our condition and you continue God to love us even despite our condition our hearts and you're devoted to and passionate about purifying your bride to stand before you as a bride clothed in the garment of Christ's righteousness, who sustained miraculously by the food that Jesus himself provides, that you provide in your word, Lord, even through the end of the age. And I pray that you'd prepare our hearts to receive that message, God, in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Isaiah chapter 4 is... A strange chapter because uh, I've listened to a, a, a number of other pastors uh, speak on this, partly because I was kind of scrambling for um, material and scrambling for the right things to say with the lack of preparation time. But I still felt that God wanted me to, to 
both sit under this and then to allow him to speak this. Um, and one of the things is, is that this marker in this chapter is in a very strange place. It almost doesn't belong. Um, and I had a moment where I was like, maybe I should just change the passage and deal only with uh, verses 16 to 4 verse 1. But I came to this place where there's this, um, this contradiction that exists in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 4 that is hard to reconcile. Um, and in my prayer and in my seeking the Lord, I realize that much of what we're dealing with right now in our world is a contradiction that is hard to reconcile. Uh, we're faced with so many problems that we do not have resources, wisdom, or capabilities to even begin to tackle, far less the emotional, spiritual, or mental capacity to deal with. Uh, and the good news here in Isaiah and in the gospel is that when we're faced with these problems that are too big for us, it's a sign pointer to show that we are not enough in and ourselves. And that is really good news. It's really good news when you're facing something that's much larger than you and much bigger than you can tackle. A foe that is devastating, um, even to the point of devastating you in the process, but you have a resource that is far greater than the foe. It is unlimited and it is constantly at your disposal no matter what. And that's the truth that I want you to hear through this because this has a lot of bad news in it. Um, and there's a part of my heart that does not like bad news. There's a part of all of our hearts where we just, let's be honest, bad news sucks. It's terrible. I hate to say it like that, but it just does sometimes. What I would like you to hear in this, I want to do a tiny bit of background, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to keep this around the time frame that you're used to, but I ask that you give me levity and a little bit, I don't even know if levity is the right word, it, give me allowance for a little bit more time if I need, and I pray that the Spirit would complete what He would like to say to us in this time. So I want to read this passage. It's only six verses. We'll do a little bit of background, and then I want to just kind of focus on the truth that is distilled that we can grasp hold of today that does not shake, it does not move, and it is not in jeopardy in this time. So Isaiah chapter 4 reads, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Some translations say, we'll eat our own bread. We will wear our own clothing. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Other translations say, take away our disgrace. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle 
for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge and a shelter from storm and rain. So upon first reading that, you see that there's a very different picture between verse one and the rest of the passage. Um, like what is going on? And in that day, seven women shall take out of one man saying in desperation, look, we'll do anything. We'll, we'll eat for and work for our own food. We'll make and wear our own clothing. Just let us be called by your name. Uh, and I'm going to try to be brief in my comments here. Here's like a 30 second tour of the background. We all know that Israel was invaded and taken captive in the Babylonian captivity. And Isaiah is foreshadowing a before and after picture. And in the verses that precede this, there's a before picture given of, of the women of the society walking around in pride and arrogance with outstretched necks. And it goes into great detail to describe how meticulous they were in the care of how they presented themselves on the outside, attracted males and everybody's attention with what they wore and the way that they moved and the way that their spirit was. And then in the end, it says um, that although they're adorned in these outer garments, purses and mirrors, anklets and nose rings, perfume boxes and charms, festal apparel, fine linen, turbans and robes. You see that as a before picture. And from the outside, that looks like, man, this is a society that is wealthy. It's a society that's doing great. It's a society that is walking in pride and we support that. Um, in many ways, we can, we can see that in our own hearts, in our own lives, and in our society at large in America, much less the world. Uh, and then there's this contrast that takes place where it says, instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Uh, instead of a rich robe, a girding sackcloth. And a branding instead of beauty. So God begins to say, kind of like in Revelation chapter 3, here's what you see, but here is what I see. And he's saying this through the prophet who's foretelling an actual event is coming, and he's foretelling, yes, this is what I see when I look at you now, and this is what you want others to see. But in a short time, because of the events that God is bringing, here's what Here's what your pride will look like. Here's what the idols that you have given yourself will look like. They will be, they will be removed, and the sweet smell that once graced this street will be a stench. And the women in this picture that were beautiful and glorious and attracting attention will be bloated, bald, and smelly stench. And that's a terrible picture. It's a terrible picture because it means Israel was being invaded and captors were going to come in and there was going to be battles and much of the men that were the strength and the support of the city were going to be slain in battle. They were going to be carried away. In that society, that was protection. The men of the city, that was the army. That was the ones who stood on watch around the city. They were going to be overcome. It's a difficult thing to read. It's a difficult thing for us if we translate it to where we are now. When our fears take over, to think of um, the America that we once knew being something different, something weaker, something that we couldn't rely upon, the normal that we once knew is changing. 
and fear can speak a message that colors everything we see. But we do not live under fear today, family. We live under God who dispels fear by his perfect love. We live under Jesus who has come to remove our filthy garments of sin and replace them with his own robe of righteousness, which has been purchased at his own blood shed for us. A blood that speaks of a better covenant that's eternal. And we're going to read that picture through what we see next. It's significant and it's important to see that Isaiah was, was looking at the siege that would come upon Jerusalem, but that he was also looking forward to the, when it says in that day, that should be a clue um, that it's speaking of a definite day that is also beyond the black, the baby, excuse me, the Babylonian captivity. He's speaking to the final day when Jesus would come to the earth to, to ransom his children from this world into his kingdom, which he is setting up. Uh, one of the things that God has been speaking to me is that a lot of what we see, it's really easy for our hearts to just say like, well, this is the, the end. Jesus, come take us now. Rapture us out of here. And then there's all this whole discourse in theology about whether the rapture exists, whether it doesn't, if it's in scripture. And that can kind of be too much to think about. And that can kind of be too much for us to wrestle with and know. So in my process of looking into this, initially I began looking at like biblical prophecy and what different people say. And then guess what? Um, that just became something that was a burden that I couldn't think about or bear. In this time, I think what God is calling us to is not that we would have the answers, but that we would be living in close proximity to the one who is the final answer. He is the way. Whether there's a rapture or not, I know Jesus, and Jesus promises that he will never leave me or forsake me. That's a better truth than the rapture to me. Anyway, I didn't mean to get on that tangent, but... That's an amen I'm saying right now. It's significant, though, that there are seven women in this picture. When God uses the number seven in scripture, it's indicative of his perfection. And seven is also a number that's used in Revelation to speak to the churches. There are seven lampstands, seven trumpets, seven, seven churches of which are written about. Um, so I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is a picture of the church in the end times. And there's a solemn warning that is given to the church in the end times. As scripture says, the things that are written about Israel, uh, let's see if I can find the actual verse so I don't have to paraphrase. I'm going to paraphrase. The things that are written are actually written as lessons for us that we would see what they went through, take an account of that, and learn from the history of Israel. The biggest thing that we've been learning is the cycle and repeating cycle of leaving the God that has chosen them, ransomed them, forgiven them, to lesser loves of idols. 
And this is the greatest tendency in all of our hearts. We have to immediately recognize that and we have to see that in everything, that we are people that do not gravitate to God, but rather gravitate away from his spirit in sin, in shame, in hiding. But the truth of the gospel is we have a God that runs after us, that seeks and saves those who are lost, that seeks to gather his children as a hen gathers her chicks under his wing for protection. What we have to be careful of is the tendency of our hearts to not see this and to not see God's effort and to be lullabied to sleep in this world and in our own sin, which leads to death. This is a picture of the church. The first thing that I want to share with you that the Spirit shared with me is, what is this part about we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel? And this is where I want the rest of this message to kind of hang, and then we're just going to do a little cursory touch upon this really big passage that talks about a lot of Old Testament references to God's protection, deliverance, and leading. Um, so these women that were once uh, beautiful in their own eyes and in the ways of this world and in their idolatry are now in a place of they're destitute, they're desperate. Um, they're looking for protection and they're looking for safety and security, but they're looking for it in their former identity. And this is the danger that I want us to hear, that God is calling us as the church today to get to know who we are and a rock solid uh, like my mind will not deter from this sort of way who we are in Christ. You have to, in this day, know what Jesus says about you. Know the promises of God. Know the promises that he won't leave you, that he is your righteousness, that he is your covering uh, from the glory of God, which we can't touch, from the holiness of God, and that he is the better sacrifice that is given. You don't have to sacrifice and make a way uh, through your sin and shame. You come to the one who is the sacrifice and you trust on his sacrifice. So the women are asking for their, it will eat our own food. Well, it was customary in that day that the husband would provide food. Deuteronomy in the law, it says that if a husband like divorces his wife, he should provide food and clothing as part of the law because this was required under the covenant of marriage. So for women in that day to be desperate enough to say like, we are willing to forego our rights to, to provide our own food and clothing could be looked at as kind of like, wow, they're trying to raise themselves by their bootstraps. They're trying to do it in, in, in strength and in pride. But what God sees in that is actually he, he sees a church that is a church in name only. And there's a definite pause there. We have to be really careful of our faith resting in a profession that we made years ago. We have to be really careful in our own hearts, that our own hearts would check. Are we with Jesus intimately? Are we intimately known? Or is it in external appearances and name only? To be with Jesus, it means that we must take the garments he provides. There is no other way. 
There is no other way to be in God's presence, the presence of a holy God who before him, heaven and earth flee away. He is a consuming fire. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. The tempest, the storm moves ahead of his presence. This picture of God is a picture that we want to have in our hearts, not that we would be afraid, but that we would begin to have wisdom to know the fear of the Lord. It's that fear that gives us wisdom and revelation to see ourselves in the light of how we truly are so that we can cleave to and run after and accept and take hold of the righteousness Christ provides and put it on that the spirit would clothe us in a righteousness apart from our own works. There's a parable in Matthew chapter 22, where it speaks of a king inviting people to a banquet. And in the process of people declining his invitation for very good reasons, apparently, as it seems, uh, it, it then moves to the streets, to the ones who are desperate, go to the poor, go to the highways and byways and gather people from my banquet because my banquet table will be full. We see God's heart of desperation that he goes after the least of these in our eyes because he's more concerned with his kingdom being full of sinners saved by grace than the righteous that feel they have no need to repent. In this banquet, there's a man who's clothed in a garment other than what the rest of the guests are provided with and other than what they're wearing. And the first time I read this, I was like, what in the world does this mean? It seems crazy. But what you have to understand is a king, when he, in the custom of that day, when he would provide a banquet and he would invite people to multi-day celebration, he would also, as the custom, be required to provide a garment that people would wear in the banquet in case they couldn't afford a garment of their own so that they would be dressed to excellence in the feast of his son or daughter, or whoever he's giving in marriage. It was a great work for that king to get all these garments made so that everybody would be acceptable and without shame, whether they were the richest of the rich or the poorest of the poor. So when he finds the man that accepted the invitation but refused the garment, he says, cast him outside. He will be cut in two where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I'm just paraphrased that. So uh, feel free to check that out. But that's the emphasis there. It's not okay for us to come to Christ in some ways, but not allow him to be God in others. We have to hear that, family. We have to constantly check our own hearts, which are bound by deceit and prone to leave the God that we love, even in ways that are so subtle that we can't detect it. We have to be willing for God to have access to a scalpel and cut away our pride in any area, even if, it even if it means revealing areas that we're ashamed of so that he can then cover us and, and give us the better garment of his righteousness. 
That's what it means to walk with him as a bride, if we, as a bridegroom, if we are the bride, rather. So also in that passage, when it speaks of we will eat our own bread, it means that they're taking something other than what he gives, which actually brings life. It's meaning that they're still stuck in the city which was sieged, and they're no longer looking for the eternal city that can never be sieged. This is the part where my heart is most convicted. God is calling us to leave any idol that is standing in the way of him. If it's an idol of money, comfort, um, entertainment, sports, anything that would occupy time and space, which is really God's worship and his right, he's calling us to leave that as if it were a city being sieged and destroyed. To leave that and in the journey of the wilderness to rely upon him for clothing, for food, for protection and deliverance. You see the last part of the verses speak of Moses's uh, calling the people out of Egypt into the safety of the promised land through a very long and arduous journey in the wilderness. And the, prom the same promises that were given to Moses in the way that he led God's people are given to us today. Whether we're in the generation that sees the coming of Christ or not, whether he raptures us up into the heavens with him, the dead in Christ rise first, we reign in the millennium for a thousand years. It doesn't matter your stand on the millennium or the events of the future. You have a rock solid stand that Jesus is our redeemer and he is coming for us and that he promises to never leave us. He promises to be the one that actually walks with us through the wilderness of this world as we learn to walk away from the Egypt and of the things that we knew, um, the slavery, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the, the love of this world, as we learn to cut those things out in his leading, as he leads in our life, he is the one that we cleave to as a husband cleaves to a wife and a wife to a husband and they make their way together into forever, the promised land, heaven, life eternal within. This is kind of the part I wanna close with. Um, thank you, God. We ask for you to continue to speak. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. Okay. So we're going to continue with the analogy of uh, that the Bible gives of Christ as our bridegroom and us as the bride. And there's a thousand things I could say about this, but I want to stick to the text. I want to read these last two verses and I want to end there. Um, uh, yes, last two. Okay. Verse five. 
Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory, there will be a covering. That word right there, over all the glory, there will be a covering. The word that is used there for covering is the same word uh, that is used for a bridal chamber. In the custom of the days where uh, in this time, in Isaiah's time, in Jesus' time, when a bridegroom or when a groom would prepare to receive his bride, he would build an addition or he and his father, whoever knew how to handle the tools at the time, would build an addition on the house. And it was a covering so that when they were married, they would have a year set apart to just be together as a bride and a groom in this shelter from the rain, from the storms, from the heat of the day that was provided by the groom. What I want you to hear today is that Jesus is the best the, and the better groom of your heart. When all other loves fail you, when friends fail you, when life itself, the way in which you knew it once, seems to fail you, you have a great lover of your soul that promises he will never fail you, he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you or forget you. Jesus is the one that has prepared a covering for you. First, a covering that you don't have to be ashamed at your sin, at your heart, at what your heart gravitates to, at your heart, uh, the idols that are being revealed in this time of your heart. Because he is the one that bore your sin and shame for you on the cross, naked, bearing shame, even though he is the one that should have never worn that shame. He was marred in his appearance because you and I as the ones who were covered in sin and shame, covered in a marred appearance before God, bald, bloated, and with stench. He is the one that came and saw us in that condition, picked us up, covered our wounds with oil and with bandages, restored us to health, at the sake of his own, because he loves you that much. When anything in your mind speaks to, to anything other than the love of Christ, it is not of Christ. Know your identity in Jesus so rock solid and go to it when the great accuser of the brethren stands to accuse you so that you can agree with your adversary quickly. Satan can accuse us. We can agree with him. Yeah, that was me. And that might be true of me now, but I have a greater lover of the soul. And he tells me that the words that you say are lies. 
So I'm going to cleave to the one that loves me better and knows me in truth and in spirit. And I'm going to receive from him power to stand in a time when men's hearts fail them because that's what God does and that's how good he is. Friends, you have a lover of your soul that desperately wants you to spend time with him so that you will not seek an identity apart from him. Do you hear his voice? He is calling you. He is calling all of us. Return to your first love. Come, my spirit, the bride, they say, come. If you're thirsty, for a better drink, come, I have living water. If you're broken and in need of repair, I am the great physician. Come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the banner which you have spoken over us is a banner of undying love. Even in spite of the condition you found us and the condition that our heart gravitates to. You are the one that loves us with a perfect love and you are the one that gave your life so that we might know what it means to be part of your family eternally. God, I pray right now for everybody that's listening for any area of their heart that was stirred, God, that you would do a work with your scalpel of cutting away any, any lies that have attached themselves to our minds, our hearts, our spirits, anywhere, Lord, by the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Cut away anything that does not resemble the identity that you desire for us to stand to walk in. We trust you as our great deliverer. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, well, we are going to move to respond to the good news that we heard uh, this morning. Thank you, Aaron, for, uh, for taking the